Welcome to Haptic Feedback with Shaco, mobile by design. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Haptic Feedback, a Shaco podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. And folks, thanks so much for joining us on another episode of the show. We appreciate you listening along to some thought leadership from our industry and from our team. As we dig into today's topic, which is going to be one of three pieces of a larger conversation around product strategy, which I'll explain here in more detail in a second. I want to make sure that you're getting all of the Shaco content you desire and making sure that you're caught up on some more of our thought leadership, how we fit into the industry, and of course, staying up to date on future pieces of content from the team. So make sure that you're heading to our website, Shaco.com. Again, Shaco, S-H-O-C-K-O-E.com for more of that thought leadership, including episodes of the podcast, articles, videos, and more, and more information about our solutions and services. And you can also subscribe to Haptic Feedback on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So just hit that subscribe button on either of those platforms, and you'll have uh, some notifications when we drop new episodes, as well as a full catalog of previous conversations for you to catch up on. So like I mentioned, this podcast is the start of a three-part series on analyzing and then building some actionable tips for the industry off of Shaco's unique approach to strategy when developing mobile applications, platforms, and digital or mobile experiences, and more generally, Shaco's approach to product strategy. If we get even more granular, uh, digital transformation is a, you know, it's a buzzword. It's it's a big term. Everyone's digitally transforming in some way. But if we look at the last couple years now, you know, 18 months to two years, uh, digital transformation was accelerated across almost every industry during the pandemic. And now we're in a place where regardless of if you're in media, retail, manufacturing, logistics, live events, I mean, again, really every industry, there's a greater pressure for things like end-to-end visibility, both internally and externally, more efficient operations, innovative, experience-led customer experiences, you name it. And all of these pressures amount to investment in and deployment of quality applications and platforms, new digital products and strategies. So with each of these three mini-sodes, we're going to be breaking down the product product strategy development process, uh, and we're going to be learning from Shaco's approach specifically to connect the dots between high-level concepts and actionable, measurable results around new app deployments. So for our first episode, we're going to be breaking down our vision for strategy with a purpose. So we're going to define product strategy and get a better sense for how the Shaco team sees product strategy to sort of set the tone for this three-parter. And with each episode, we're going to have the pleasure of chatting with the talented product strategy team here at Shaco. So I'm going to go down the line, introduce each of our guests. First up, we have Mr. Chandler Tyler. Chandler, how you doing? Yeah, great to have you on. We're also joined by Mason Brown. Mason, welcome. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me as well. Yeah, absolutely. And to round it out, we're also joined by Taz Graywall. Taz, great to have you on. How are you? Having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, we're going to be sourcing the three of y'all for this three-part episode. And again, we're going to start big picture and we're going to try to better understand how product strategy fits into today's context and get y'all's perspective on how you see this at a really high level and in practice. So let's 
start with that big picture with what's happening in the world, especially around those digital transformations that I mentioned earlier. Would you agree with some of the just high level pontificating I gave during the intro that uh, an acceleration of digital transformation is motivating the adoption of new digital tools. Kind of give me your high level perspective there, uh, you know, from uh, from a Shaco lens. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, and this is not a you know, we don't own this concept, but the the pandemic has been kind of referred to as a catalyst or an accelerant for uh, the embracing of digital at large. But I think it was already a path that we as a uh, a, a culture and a people were on. Um, and I think that the, the, the biggest shift you're seeing is kind of the uh, ability to use digital and disperse uh, people and resources towards common goals um, and behaviors. So I think that that's where you're seeing kind of like the big, big, big investment of how do I, how do I work with the distributed workforce or how do I work with distributed resources? Or you can even go like into the future of like, how do I, how do I manage a warehouse that's in a different state? Um, all of these pieces are kind of a piece of that uh, transformation, if you will. I think transformation might also be like a confusing term because it's like, I feel like we've already transformed as a people into a digital society. So, yeah, I, I was just going to say, I, I think that there's a perhaps a, the stakes are higher for digital solutions that we're developing, right? Um, I mean, of course, quality was always important, but I think the pandemic has put into perspective the importance for certain types of digital solutions, especially when we think about enterprise grade ones. Um, and that, you know, if so many um, people or if there's just such a reliance on that tool, then it's really important that it's, it's developed and designed correctly. And, you know, that's where we come in as a strategy team to kind of make sure that what the solution um you know, is, is actually well-researched and, and, you know, has kind of evidence behind the decisions that we're making and in what the product should be and how it should work. I think the evidence point is also really salient towards what we do of like, it's, it's also more important now than ever that like when you get it wrong, um, you know, it, it can, it can be very uh, costly because there's now even more reliance on digital. Um, so really going in and saying, okay, what are the risks and how can we test against those is a, is a big part of how we do strategy. Yeah, no, uh, you know, you brought up a good point. Digital transformation, I feel like maybe misses the point that, yeah, we've kind of already digitally transformed in a lot of ways as a society. And um, I'm curious if you have just like a personal, I don't know, definition or term that you would use instead, right? Like how would you summarize the phase of digital transformation that we're in right now, where we have more of a focus on, um, you know, remote or hybridized communication channels. We have sort of a, a better balance of in-person versus remote experiences for consumers, more data visualization for the consumer and internally, right? Like how would you define that this era that we're in right now? Yeah. And I want to, I was not, I also want to be bashing the term. Digital transformation. I understand. It's a, <laughs> so I want to make this sure is the term not, bashing podcast. Not, now. Like, <laughs> But I, I think what you're seeing is that, you know, because I think digital transformation has been around in enterprise for uh, at least two decades. You know, we've been talking about it since, the, you know, especially the advent of mobile in like 2009, 2010. I think what the, the current iteration of the conversation, though, and we're seeing this more and more with our clients, is the embracing of kind of product methodologies, product organizations, and where this idea of managing digital products is a core function of a company and, and, and embracing a um 
a product approach because you know you, you've seen this this boom of startups and this boom of, of new ways to build useful things um and kind of it's all captured under this product banner so that would be the current at least as, as i see it i don't know about you guys i i see it as a um a bit of a like flipping of the script of you know rather than digital as a as an alternative uh method or or a augmenting solution to to what is otherwise a physical one is now becoming like the primary so maybe we'd say digital first is a bit bit of a better way to describe you know the era that we're entering so even this podcast you know recording for example like we're all joining from different locations into this um this software and that's bringing us together and this is kind of the new default as opposed to you know being in a room together perhaps you know might have been more likely two years ago yeah and kind of i think building on that too um the the spirit of kind of what i'm going to say here is kind of rooted in i think a lot of like the buzz of like the early internet days where it was the information superhighway but what digital has really been able to successfully do is shorten that gap so much right um i need a product i don't have to think about my commute down to target to search down the aisles i do curbside pickup so being thoughtful and intentional about how we're shortening those gaps is a big part of the conversation for us as well. And I think the shortening the gap is like in general a like concept in software is really interesting of like it's not just shortening the gap between like what a customer needs and what a customer gets, but also the pace at which a business can meet those needs, um which is really the 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 hardest thing I think in terms of transformation is like uh helping larger firms or or any size company kind of meet these needs at a pace that they're expecting based on how other companies are handling that, which kind of gets back to that, that product orientation of, of, you know, iterative and fast software development. This intention. This actually, um, and, and I'm being earnest here, this is something that Mason referenced one time that I think about often, and it was, um, why did it take Instacart to make Instacart and not Publix and not Kroger and not Giant or Safeway, you know? Um, and I think that's a really salient and important question. I think that nimble style of thinking um, really helps in that regard. And I think that's why transformation is a term that companies still gravitate towards because they, they recognize there's threats on the outside. It could be other companies, it could be market forces, consumer forces, but they have to find a way to make their company kind of steadfast against those. Right, right. And to connect the uh, dots back to the big picture, a lot of that includes rethinking product strategy and understanding where can we launch something new that's either external, internal, or a mix of both that intentionally analyzes some of those gaps and shrinks them. So let's chat product strategy now. I want to just ask a question that almost seems so basic that it's going to really open the floodgates here, but what is product strategy, right? Like if we think about how companies view that term, how they strategize around product strategy, what does that definition actually mean in practice? Let's start in general, and then I'll ask some follow-ups to get us more granular. Yeah, uh, I can, I mean, I can jump in there. Um, the, you know, I think that the term strategy is, is, is thrown around in a lot of contexts in, in business and, you know, society at large. And I think they, they, they all kind of boil down to a common refrain of like a way to win um, and a way to, to be intentional with the planning and, and organize your resources. So product strategy is no different. Um, you know, if we're going to build a thing, a, a widget, a gadget, a, a an app, um, what is the most effective way for us to channel our resources, which in the, in, this, in the world of product is going to be 
you know, the experiences and technologies that we apply towards solving customer or business problems. Uh, a client might uh, have a, an idea of what the problem is and, and what the solution should be for it. Um, but our job is to bring, um, you know, data and evidence to back that up and um, either validate what they might have already felt was the problem that needed to be solved or determine that there's some some new or other problem that is actually uh, more equally important. And so, um, you know, our, our job is to, to ask a lot of questions and kind of get to the bottom of whatever it is that we're, that we're investigating. And um, so I, I guess in, in that sense, we are a bit like, um, like investigators and, and trying to kind of get, get to down to the truth and, and then recommend the right plan and approach to, to go forth and build the product. Yeah. Um, I think kind of on, on a very basic level, the way that I've all uh, kind of grown to think of it is we exist to validate, confirm, check, and test every assumption that an organization makes to decide the future of its product. And that assumption is about the product. The assumption is about the end user. And it's also about the underlying business need as well. So uh, assumption checking is kind of where I feel like the crux of what I do comes into play. Now, how would you, you know, maybe expand that definition when you add it to the context of what Shaco is building here, right? The development of new web or mobile applications or platforms. Does the definition of product strategy or how, you know, your clients view product strategy in that context change at all or just, you know, expand its, uh, its definition? To answer that, I, I would say like product strategy is a focusing mechanism towards those efforts. Um, there's a lot of pieces and parts that go into building any piece of software or any product in general. Um, and in the case of, of, of our company, we are kind of the um, trying to get our hands around exactly what we need to occur with the end product. Um, and then, you know, supporting our internal teams to, to realize that, whether it's through you know, briefing designers or, or coordinating with technologists to figure out trade-offs between given, you know, uh, technologies that we would use. Um, but it's, it's, in that case, it's very much a, like, let's focus on a plan. So let's get granular here. What are some of the trends you're seeing right now in product strategy? Uh, you know, whether that's among how teams like yours or, you know, you see, um, similar build outs in the industry, like how they're approaching product strategy and some of the strategies they're implementing there um, or, you know, whether it's around the products themselves that are drawing a lot of attention and being strategized around in a larger business model uh, or uh, you know, investment context. Thoughts? I'm going to go, go broad here at first, but, you know, I think in, in the news, people hear a lot about, um, you know, startups that become wildly successful, you know, product companies in a short period of time and, you know, big software, um, you know, giants like Salesforce that seemingly, you know, have, have come out of nowhere. And, and so I, I think there's, there's just generally a, a lot happening in, in the world of like digital product strategy. And there's a lot of opinions of, um, the right way to, to go about it and, you know, how, how do you become the next big thing? Um, but we really try to kind of keep our approach, um, you know, somewhat 
simple. And, you know, we, what, one thing that we've, that we've tried recently with, with our clients is um, an approach called the, the three B's and um, those stand for um, behavior barrier and benefit. So um, you, you basically just look at, you know, what is the single most important behavior that you're trying to change with this new product or with this enhancement of a product and, um, you know, really just boil it down to a, a, a singular, you know, behavior that you can describe and put into, you know, a, a temporal context of like, you know, I, I want to um, increase the amount of people, um, you know, doing this task within this time frame, you know, something like that. And then, you know, once you have that, you look at, okay, well, what are the, what are the barriers to that today? You know, why are people not doing that thing now? And um, that really helps you understand, you know, friction points and, and where um, people are getting hung up in whatever the current process is that they're using. And then the third B um, as, as a benefit is sort of like the, the carrot aspect of this of like, okay, well, what, what are ways that we could draw people towards that behavior and um, sort of give them an incentive to, to do it. Um, and, you know, at a, at a really simple level, I, I think that that's a good way to, to look at product strategy and can apply to almost any product, big, small, enterprise, consumer, whatever. Well, what are some of the uh, tastiest carrots you're seeing out there, right? Some of the good strategies being employed that are proving, I guess, not only innovative and also, you know, that seem aware of what the current needs are around how to launch good products and, uh, you know, especially in the um, digital uh, web and mobile app space, you know, that launch products that are actually effective and useful for today's needs. Uh, and yeah, I guess maneuver that for us. What are some good strategies you're seeing out there that went out for the end user as well as the company launching said strategy? Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. Um, I, you know, I think people want software that's, um, not just easy, but kind of fun. I, I think we're, we're seeing a trend in like the, um, uh, I don't know what the verb would be, but like, like making things that are more fun to use, even if the purpose for their use is business related or, um, you know, somewhat, you know, boring at the end of the day. Um, I, I think, I think Slack has done a really great job with that sort of transforming, um, you know, what was previously, you know, emails or really basic chats uh, into something that has really like crafted company culture in, in you know, for a lot of companies that use Slack. Um, and it's, it becomes this like really fun business tool, but, you know, but it's still fun. <laughs> um, so that's an interesting one for sure. I think you're seeing a, a, a increase as we, we get farther into things. You know, we, we've, we've had a lot of like algorithmic driven stuff over the past decade, but you're seeing the ability to do more anticipatory type experiences. Um, and that's being a big one. So like you could, you could argue that a lot of the explosion of TikTok is their ability to like, uh, essentially template out certain things that you might like um, and, and, and anticipate things that you might like in the future, which is traditional like recommendation. Um, but people are, there is a, there is a deluge of stuff you can do on the internet and in, and in technology now and, and finding ways to sort through that or bubble up the best or the most relevant to you is a 
already has been a winning strategy and proves to be more winning. What's interesting recently is that there's a lot of conversations around data and where that data comes from. And I think that the next couple of years are going to be very much around where is the data coming from? How are you learning about me, you know, end user? And then how are you going to give me experiences? And as as less and less cross uh, like advertising data can be shared with things like ATT and, 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 you know, wherever it goes with privacy regulation, you see more and more companies trying to learn about you at their individual app level, whether that's like Walmart trying to learn about you or your company trying to learn about you. Um, and then how you navigate those um, from a ethical and, and from a, you know, just customer communication standpoint is going to be a big, uh, a winning deal, I think, for certain companies that do it well and a losing strategy for those that can't. Because um, all it takes is a couple of bad headlines and people don't want to be using your stuff. People don't want to be using your stuff. Well said by me. There you go. <laughs> No, but I mean, you're, you're spot on there. Very true. It's, um, you know, I guess it's, I, I am reminded of, you know, how people talk about trust, right? And that it takes a lifetime to build up positive associations with whatever, you know, person, a brand, uh, you know, you build that trust, but it only takes like one or two steps in the wrong direction for you to have to start from scratch. Uh, and so I think that translates well into product strategy launches. Like if you launch a new feature on your app, you launch a new, uh, you know, almost a new section of your entire business model and it's not thoughtful and it's actually, you know, diminishes the experience for the end user, makes it worse overall. It's, you know, people find something new and fresh every day to turn to regardless. So, you know, that brand association has to be really powerful for you to not just say, okay, this sucks now, I guess I'm going to move on. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think that that weight is important to keep in mind. So with that in mind, we'll wrap this episode by uh, highlighting maybe some examples of bad strategy, right? Like what are some examples out there? And you can, you know, you can name companies if you want, or if you want to just keep it general to not throw anyone under the bus, that's fine too. But just what are some examples out there of strategy that is launched incorrectly or just is misguided? And then how do you know if you're implementing the wrong approach? before you get too deep into the mire, right? And and it's too late to turn back. Oh, yeah, actually. Uh, so I'm, I'm not going to call out names and name names oh, out there because <laughs> I am uh, I live in fear of corporate attorneys. But oh, I, I feel. <laughs> but uh, one, one thing that comes to mind is the idea of Im not being failure aversive uh, as consistently as possible. So I always look to like the Google example of uh, choosing repeatedly to experiment and fail fast if they have to. Um, and I think that that uh, that embrace uh, embracing the um, notion of failure, I think, is one that pays out uh, long term because you might. Uh, you might shoot 10 times, but only make it in seven. But Google's kind of, I feel like, done the highest stakes version of that, at least in the in the public sphere. And Taz, you're saying to like take on the potential failure, right? Right. Okay. I'm trying. Yeah. I think that like, yeah. And like big companies tend to be bullish in this regard because they have the resources that they they can do that. But I think that we're, especially our strategy, like we, we try to support companies big and small on their ability to take risky, not risky, that's the wrong way to put it, but take changes that could create value, but also test against them quickly with, we do a lot with analytics. We do a lot with uh, customer research, um, but there are ways to kind of bring risks into bring new ideas that could be considered risky by a classic like enterprise um, and not 
scale them up so fast that there's like a, a potential downside to the company and, and, and betraying trust like we were talking earlier. I think another example of bad strategy or, or a practice in general that I, I think we're always hesitant of is kind of this features over everything else and considering like we want this thing that does X, Y, and Z and then trying to back into an approach. And I think Quibi famously did that where they're like, we know vertical video is the future. We're going to design an entire content ecosystem around it. And I think it's easy to trash on Quibi because they blew up so publicly. But that is a a a a, uh, a stalwart example of like they they knew what they wanted, but there was no way to prove that there was actually a value back there. And I'm sure a bunch of you know people in the background were testing this out, but there was there wasn't a need and it wasn't really solving a problem that other entertainment mediums were accomplishing. And you saw how quickly it fizzled out. Um, so, but I think I, I point to Quibi as an example of like they had a a feature a featureless in mind. And they built a business around it. And I think that's very risky. Very true. Very true. You got to be confident that if you're basing your entire existence around a feature, that it really is something that solves, I think, a core problem, right? And I think we'll wrap on that note uh, and we'll explore more of how to analyze maybe what those problems are, how to view your industry and view you, you know, your company and your customer base and see what do we actually need to be solving and how do we make that inform our product strategy top to bottom. So we'll go ahead and wrap here. Again, this is part one of three. So audience out there, make sure you stay tuned for the follow-up conversations to this first episode. But thank you again to our guests from the product strategy team at Shaco, Chandler Tyler, Mason Brown, and Taz Graywall for all your insights. We'll be back soon, team. So, uh, you know, keep that energy. And thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of Haptic Feedback, a Shaco podcast. If you like what you heard and saw today and you want previous episodes or you want to make sure you don't miss out on parts two and three of this conversation, make sure that you're subscribing on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and head to our website, shaco.com. Again, shaco, S-H-O-C-K-O-E. Com. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Haptic Feedback.